Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I am here today with Kat Hegberg-Rebar. Kat is the co-author of the book Yoga Where You Are, is a co-host of the Dark Side of the Mat podcast, is the former editor-in-chief at Yoga International, is the author of the upcoming book Yoga Inversions, Your Guide to Going Upside Down, which is going to be released next year by Shambhala, and is the Department Chair of Yoga Studies Program at Pacific College of Health and Science. Welcome to the show, Kat. Hi, Kate. It's so nice to be here. And thank you for reading my long bio there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about everything you have done and are doing. So it's my pleasure to read your fabulous bio. And thanks for chatting with us today. Oh, I'm delighted to. And I mean, it's always good to see you. I know we met in, it was, gosh, like the 2010s in Portland, I think, when I was teaching at your yoga studio there. Yes. And it's been so cool to see the evolution of your career since then. And just for the audience, I will let y'all know that Kat and I actually recorded an interview for you all to listen to probably like two months ago or three months mm -hmm. ago. And then there was a Maybe it was a Mercury retrograde, I don't know, but there was some issues with the technology, so we had to unfortunately not use that interview. Luckily, we get to do a whole fresh interview today. So I'm excited to circle back with you about some of the things that surfaced in the interview that we did before and, and circle back to them. And I'm also excited to chat with you today about some of the changes that I know you've been through in the last two or three months that have been pretty eventful in your life, it sounds like. Oh yeah, it's been a wild few months, just totally unexpected. I emailed you yesterday to tell you that I'm you know, excited about the podcast today and everything, and that a lot of the things that we discussed in the episode that we did previously that didn't end up um, getting recorded, it, it was still, I'm so glad we did that because there were so many things that I thought back to from that conversation and so many ideas that came up and reminders that really got me through the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I there would have been so much on the forefront of my mind if that hadn't have happened. So thank you. Oh, that's so cool. I love hearing that. Okay, so let's get into first the first question, which we'll see if your answer is the same this time or if it's changed a little bit. So I always like to start by asking, what does scarcity mindset mean to you? What comes up when you hear that? When I hear scarcity mindset, I actually think of something that gets referenced a lot on another 
podcast that's a favorite of mine. Some of the listeners might be familiar with Scam Goddess, uh, Lacey Mosley's podcast, super popular, super funny. Lacey Mosley's a treasure. I love it. It's, you know, it's like a true crime, light kind of comedy podcast. But one thing that she always reminds me of, and that it's a good reminder, is don't make a decision when you're in despo mode. Don't make a decision in that frantic place. Like when your nervous system is like, oh, what's going on? I have to do something. I have to do this or it's going to be my only chance. And Mm -hmm. there have been so many times in my life where I have made decisions from that place. And to be able to step back and to be able to think, okay, am I operating in desperation mode? Is this really true? Or is it really true, you know, that this is my only job opportunity I'll ever have, or that I'll never be able to make more than this, or that I'll never be able to make another connection, or that I'll never fall in love again, you know, whatever it is. When I'm operating from that place of desperation, where it's like, I have to choose the thing in front of me because there might not be another option, I'm usually not making the best decision. And I know it's a big privilege to be able to take the space because sometimes we do have to operate in desperation mode. But in the past three months, I was getting that feeling. My nervous system was kicking in, telling me, yeah, desperation mode, desperation mode. And I knew realistically when I assessed the situation and when I looked at what was happening that I didn't actually have to act from that mode. And that was thanks to the support of a lot of family and friends and that abundance, you know, being the opposite of scarcity. So I think I would say that's what, for me, how I have personally experienced a scarcity mindset. When I feel like I have no choice, I have to do the things that I don't want to do. I have to say yes, even though I want to say no. And yeah, so so that's what it's been for me. Yeah, I love that description. I think that's a really easy one for most people to understand, even if I have some people that they just don't resonate with or understand the term scarcity mindset, but I think everybody understands what it feels like to be feeling desperate. (laughs) And that's some really good advice to not make decisions when you're feeling desperate. So I definitely want to get into this experience that you've had in the last few months. Could we start actually by going back to a story that you told me before about a different time in your life when you found yourself facing pretty legitimate scarcity challenges and and that were unexpected and how you kind of worked through that. Cause I thought that was a really interesting example of a way of, of being in a desperate situation and working your way out of it. So would you mind sharing that story? Absolutely. I think I know just the story that you're talking about. So I got married when I was really young. I lived, I grew up in Michigan and I got married when I was 20. So I was actually too young to technically drink the champagne at my wedding. My friends were there and they were mostly not quite 21 yet either. And I remember they gave me the champagne because I was the bride and they're like, surely this bride must be 21. But all my friends got carded, so they had to have the non-alcoholic champagne. I felt really (laughs) bad. so I was, I was that young and my husband at the time was a good bit older. And even then, even with that relationship, you know, I feel like a lot of that came about for me being like, I need to check off the box. I need to get married. This is my chance. I might not have another chance to achieve this quote goal, you know, so not the best reason to get married, but we don't always make the best decisions when our, our brains aren't fully developed yet. Yeah. <laughs> so. In the midst of that, I started doing a lot of yoga teacher trainings and I started teaching, practicing more yoga kind of became my life. And my ex-husband and I moved to yoga ashram in Pennsylvania on the East coast. 
And I lived there for, I think, about two and a half years. And he moved to Portland six months before I did to try to find work and a place to live. And then I came out six months later. I had just been brought on as a managing editor for the Ashrams magazine. And I really wanted to stay and get that career experience there. And I'm glad that I you know, had the chance to mentor with so many skilled editors in that position. But eventually I did move to Portland and I love living in the city. I'm a city girl, you know, and it was nice to go from a very rural area to a very metropolitan fun area to live. And I also was incredibly busy still at the time. I was going to school pretty much full time for a variety of things. I was teaching like 20 yoga classes a week. I wish that was an exaggeration, but it's not. I was teaching in teacher trainings. I was also working many, many hours a week at a yoga clothing store. Just, you know, super busy. I was seven days a week. I would get up like super early and then I would get home sometimes not until midnight. And I remember... I was constantly tired. Everything was awful. During that time I had, I actually had an unplanned pregnancy that I had to, you know, work with as, as one does. And I was, you know, felt really alone during that time. It was not the best, but I still, I'm an ever optimist. I was always like, yeah, I'm learning. I'm growing. I want to do this. I want to do this thing. I think I really want to do this. And I'm also a person who always, you know, kind of sees things through, whether it's staying in a relationship that maybe I should leave, which is not the best situation, but also seeing things through means, you know, I start a program, I finish it. I do a teacher training, I finish it. I accept a job, I do the best I can. I turn in all the work. I am like a project finisher. And so during this time, a friend who I had met in yet another teacher training that I had taken in Portland, who's a very dear friend of mine still, just absolutely wonderful. She was opening up a little yoga studio and she asked if I wanted to come and be a part of that as well. And that if, you know, some of our friends wanted to get together and make it kind of like a little co-op thing. And I love the co-op model to this day. My favorite studio right now in Los Angeles has a teacher co-op model to ensure fair, equitable payments for yoga teachers. So great mm -hmm. idea. So on top of everything else, we, I decided that I was going to partially run a yoga studio <laughs> and um, we had been having these events that we were planning and we found that that's what did really well at first. So it was Halloween, which is my favorite holiday. And I came in to teach this workshop with my friends. We had planned this big party and everybody we invited was there. It was probably the most successful event that we had in the, the short time we had the studio. And I remember just feeling so good and finally like, yeah, everything's not perfect, but this is what I want to do. Like I, we pulled this off. This was wonderful. But I had also asked my husband, I said, Hey, we're having this party at the studio. Are you going to be able to come by? And he said, Oh yeah, I'll come by at this time. And we had had some discussions that week about, you know, like our, our relationship wasn't perfect, but it wasn't, there wasn't any big changes or anything that I had sensed or at least consciously sensed. And I know that I was really excited because I'd been in therapy for a while and it had been very helpful for me. And he told me he was going to start therapy. And he said, you know, like, look, here's a, here's a gift for you. And it was like an application he filled out for a therapist. And I was just like, oh, that's, that makes me so happy. So it's my favorite day of the year. I taught this class and it's getting really late and the party is almost over. And 
I'm texting him like, hey, are you here? Are you around? I'm not hearing anything back. I'm starting to get a little bit worried. But I thought, okay, he probably just had to be late at work or something came up or he had to help a friend. And so I decided I was just going to take the bus home. And so I said, okay, I'm going to take the bus home and I'll see you there. Still no answer. I get home and I start to feel kind of uneasy. And when I opened my door, for whatever reason, the first thing that I wanted to look at was my ex-husband always had a lot of shoes. Like he was a big shoe collector. And I looked where his usual pile of shoes were and they were gone. There were no shoes there. And like half the stuff in my apartment was gone. My wedding rings were even gone because I didn't wear them because I was too scared to wear expensive jewelry out in public. And then I, you know, get on my phone and this was like 2012-ish. And I see that he had blocked me on social media and sent me a text that said, you know, he had left. He didn't love me anymore and goodbye. And I was just in shock and I felt so embarrassed. And so like I had failed. It was like I had checked off this marriage box. I thought I did it early. I thought I did the thing. I was working really hard. And and now like, what do I do? And I remember just typing something on social media that was like, Cat could, because this was back when like cat is or cat, you know, whatever the status is, could really use a friend right now because I didn't want to say <laughs> what was happening, but it was like the only way I could reach out for help. And thankfully, a friend of mine sent me a DM and she was like, what's going on? And I didn't respond to her until the next day because I was just like so sad. I couldn't even talk. And then I told her what happened. And so I went into work the, the next day because I had to, I had to, you know, now all of a sudden, like I was the only person paying this rent in this apartment or paying for anything. So I went to work and I remember I was just like so devastated that I would just stick my head in a clothing rack and just sob <laughs> it out for like two seconds and then pull it back out again. Oh, and yeah, I just didn't know what else to do. And so I, I told my friend and she at the time was dating this really wealthy guy who had this really posh apartment. And she's like, come spend the day with me. So she just took care of me and we went to a yoga class in the morning and I will never forget that kindness. It was just so kind. And so during that time, I realized, okay, you know, I'm in this zone where I just have to pay the bills. I just have to keep working. I just have to keep going. I'm seeing my therapist, thank God, and then I'll figure it out. So eventually I moved into a smaller apartment and then eventually I moved in with some really great friends after that. So that was really helpful. But before that time, and I think that this is the moment that you're alluding to maybe, I was sitting in a yoga studio where I taught and I had popped in for a lunchtime class. And when I was sitting there, the teacher was saying the things that yoga teachers often say about being present, you know, like just be present right now. Don't be distracted. Let everything go. And I remember for the first time that started to make me feel really angry and really defensive because I was just thinking, how the hell am I supposed to be present when I can't even pay my water bill? Like, how is this supposed to work? It's really easy to be present if you know that you can afford food, if you know that you can afford a place to eat. I, at this time, did not know that I would be able to afford any of those things. I was really, really scared. And I didn't know where my life was going. I was all by myself in a city where I hadn't lived very long, working all these jobs with, at that particular time, a rent I couldn't even afford. And I, I just got so mad. I thought, how am I supposed to be present? How? Like, how Like how dare you? <laughs> you know? And the yeah. poor yoga teacher, it wasn't their fault, but I'm sure they didn't know. 
but it did make me feel more cautious about throwing up those platitudes, if anything, as a yoga teacher, because mm-hmm. yes, being present can be helpful. And it's something that today is a very helpful reminder to myself. But when you're feeling that scarcity, when you're feeling that lack, and when you're feeling that fear, it's not, you know, anything anybody says about living your best life or visualizing what, you know, I mean, that might sound fine, but the reality is like, you got to survive. So that was, that was probably the moment that I touch on when I think of when did I experience the most feeling of scarcity or when, when was scarcity the most present in my life? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a powerful story. So I wonder about this, this moment. There's a couple of things you said I want to get into. I think it's really important what you said about when somebody's experiencing real scarcity that, you know, whether it's actually life-threatening or catastrophic for them actually, or whether they're perceiving it to be either way, they're going to be in that state of mind where there's not there's a lot of things that I think we say trying to be positive, like you're saying, that they just don't land. So I think that's an important thing to note for anybody who does work in the healing fields and and yoga teachers and things like that. I always used to teach, don't use the word just when you're telling somebody to be present or to relax because it's a really huge thing and it's an actual skill that they have to learn one small step at a time, right? So I'm curious about from the perspective of being a really, I think, masterful yoga teacher that you are, how do you apply that? How do you keep in mind that when someone's in a desperate state or a panic state or a scarcity state, and you know that they do need to actually regulate their nervous system a little bit in order to get the perspective that would help them move to the next wise step, how do you meet them there and support that without it becoming like a spiritual bypass or a like, oh, just be happy, just be positive vibes? Yeah, I mean, I think that I try really hard to maintain a good scope of practice as a yoga teacher and to be really honest about the benefits of yoga and to, again, like kind of avoid platitudes, avoid, like you said, the just be present. But instead, you know, maybe I might talk about like, when we're able to be present, then this is how we can benefit from that. But that's not always possible. And that's okay. And to allow for a variety of experiences, even if you look at like, the way that I teach a physical yoga pose now versus the way I taught when I was a newer teacher. When I was a newer teacher, it was more like this pose will strengthen this and this will do this and you will feel this and notice how you feel that. And the more experience I got and the more I learned about different folks' experiences, the more I realized, okay, this might be a common, like let's say, you know, you're in a forward fold and it might be common to say, you might feel stretch in your hamstrings or even see now I said might, but like your hamstring stretching here. And not everybody is going to feel that if someone's hypermobile, some, you know, for all sorts of reasons, someone is not going to necessarily feel the same thing as someone else. And it doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. It just means that their experience is different because their life is different. Their body is different. What they've done in their life is different. And I think that the more 
it's not that we can't talk about these benefits. It's not that we can't talk about these common experiences, whether it's in meditation, yoga, practice of being presence, but it's just to allow for and understand that someone else might experience it or feel it in a different way than we or others we've encountered do, and that that experience is still valid and we shouldn't shut that down and we shouldn't, you know, tell them that that experience is wrong. Yeah, totally. So if we go back to this moment you had where you were desperate in the yoga class Mm -hmm. and you couldn't be present and you, I think the last time we talked, you were describing to me how you got out of that scarcity space in your life. Will you tell us a little bit about what you ended up doing? I, it was through community, honestly, and, you know, through like the friends that I had in Portland, through friends that I had met all over the world, through family that I'm close to. I remember even just like little things, like when I was at that lowest point, I remember my sister sent me and she actually did a very similar thing recently. And if I, I'm not one who gets like tends to cry when I get emotional, but if anything would have made me cry, it would have been the second time she did this, but she sent, um, me like a hundred dollars worth of Starbucks gift cards because she knew that I would feel bad about treating myself to coffee in the morning. But when I was working during this time, I would usually get up at 4 a.m. and do a little yoga practice, go across the street to Starbucks, get a coffee, feel really guilty about it, get on a bus and a train for over an hour early in the morning to get to a yoga studio and teach teach several classes all around Portland, bus train, bus train, and then go and work my shifts at Athleta. And then sometimes I would go to my therapist and I would treat myself to a 7-Eleven hot chocolate outside. feel very guilty about that too. (laughs) And then take the bus back home. Sometimes it would be past midnight. And I had like an air mattress that I slept on, but I wouldn't even sleep on the air mattress because I was afraid that I would get too comfortable. It was a nice air mattress, don't get me wrong, but I was afraid (laughs) I would get too comfortable and I would sleep through my alarm and I wouldn't make it to work and I'd get fired. So in order to compensate for that, I would sleep on my floor, make myself a little extra uncomfortable just so I knew that I could wake up easily. And, um, so it was during this time, my sister sent me these Starbucks cards because she just knew and she was like, I know that you feel bad that you're spending money on coffee. Please use this, you know? And then the more I started telling my story a little bit to friends in my community and everybody was so kind. I remember just like feeling so amazed by the support. And that was around the same time that the folks from Yoga International, which, um, I had been doing freelance work with them. They called me and they said, Hey, Kat, do you want to come and film some content with us online, film some yoga classes? And I was like, yes. And they're like, we'll pay for you to fly out. And so I filmed yoga classes and I came back and I really loved working with them. And then my wonderful friend, colleague, Todd Wolfenberg, he's the former CEO and uh, co-founder of Yoga International and still one of just like a mentor and someone, if someone's like, what's a good boss? I'm like, Todd, Todd is perfect. As far as bosses go, (laughs) he said, Hey, do you want to be editor in chief of yoga international and move out to the, and you know, when you're a yoga teacher and you're teaching 20 classes a week and working all those other jobs and your brain is fried, then yes. Oh my gosh. I do want to come do my dream job. Yes, I do. Thank you. (laughs) And 
because of all of these people who loved me and cared for me and believed in me when I wasn't able to believe in myself, when I felt really low, people. And you know, you, Kate, you saw my video on Yoga International that I had made and you reached out to me and you said, hey, I'm opening a studio. Do you want to teach there? And I remember just being like, people want, people are asking me to teach at their studio. This is amazing. And to feel that support was what really helped me get out of that scarcity mindset and that desperation mode to think, okay, these people believe in me. Maybe I can believe in myself a little bit more. I also had the most wonderful therapist at the time. After everything went down, she started charging me just like a very nominal fee. I think it was $25 a session or less, just super, super cheap. And she was so supportive. And I had been working with her for a long time before that. And I was really grateful for that. And I remember saying at the time, I really, you know, I think I want to be in a city. Like, I think I want to, I want to live in New York. And I, I don't, I'm in Los Angeles now. And I'm much more the speed of Los Angeles than New York. When I think about living in New York now, I just get tired. But I said, I think I want to live in New York. And I was expecting her to talk me out of it and be like, well, it's expensive. And, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to afford it. And you probably wouldn't be able to pay the rent. And you probably die alone and, you know, all this stuff. And she's like, <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a therapist. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, she said, yeah, I think New York would be really good for you. I think that you'd really succeed there. It seems like whenever you go to visit, like you really light up, like I think that would be wonderful. I totally believe you can do it. And I was just kind of like, really? And it reminded me of honestly my first yoga teacher training where my yoga teacher, who again is still a friend and mentor of mine today, she's wonderful. Um, one of those great people I'm lucky to have in my life. She came to me during the training and she said, you know, Kat, I don't usually tell people who do teacher training that it's a good idea to be a full-time yoga teacher and to make yoga your career, but you're really good at it. And I think you can do it. And I think if anyone could do this, it's you. So if you're interested, you should pursue it. And I remember just being like, wow, I didn't think that way about me, but knowing you think that way about me makes me feel like I can. And that's partially why I was able to do the things that I was able to do that lit me up. And so it was, I think, having that support, having that reminder, like, yeah, you can do it. You can do these things. I know you can. Not only did that help me then, but looking back on those stories and looking back on those times helped me a lot recently too. I want to go back for a moment to this time in your life, because I think the first time you told me this story, which is in our interview a few months ago, yeah. there was something that you did. I think when you told me the story the first time, yeah. it involved a little more you actually taking some, we could call it risk and saying, hey, I'm going to reach out. I'm going to reach out to everybody I know and actually ask for help. Is that, is that accurate? Mm -hmm. That was a big one. That was something that my therapist really helped me with because I had always, again, I didn't want to tell anybody when, you know, when my ex left suddenly because I didn't want to bother anybody. I didn't want to burden anybody. And I tend to be like kind of private with my personal life, even though I'm telling everyone about it on a podcast now, but just like with, you know, people in personal relationships, I don't want to burden anyone. And I remember my therapist challenged me. It was like, okay, it's okay. You can, you can ask for help. That's what your friends are there for. Like you help other people. Why wouldn't they help you? 
So I remember one day I had slept through my alarm and it was a Saturday morning and I got up a little bit late and I was like, oh no, I'm going to be late to teach this yoga class. This happened once before. The person who I work for was really nice, but she doesn't deserve this. <laughs> she doesn't deserve me like missing another class. I feel terrible. And I thought, my first thought was, okay, well, a cab is $50. I'll just have to put it on credit. I think I have that much. I think I can do it. And then I thought, wait a minute, my roommate, it's a Saturday. She's not working today. I could probably ask her. The worst she can say is no, and then I get a cab. So I asked my roommate if she could give me a ride to work. And my roommate was just like, of course, of course, I'll give you a ride. And again, I was just like, really? Me? You'll give me a ride? Really? <laughs> and so that one moment of someone just saying yes, of course, made me realize it was okay to ask for things. And slowly but surely, bit by bit, I got more comfortable reaching out and saying, hey, can we connect? And honestly, that that's a, something that has served me very well recently, too. Let's fast forward a little bit to this past few months, because I know it's been a wild ride. Do you want to tell us some of the changes that have occurred? And you said that some of those skills that you developed during that phase around how to kind of work your way out of scarcity and desperation have applied recently. So can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I will say like, since that big scarcity moment, things, you know, really started to be great. I had some really hard times like on the East Coast too, but I not as hard as what I experienced in Portland. And then um, that's where I met my now husband. We ended up moving in together when we both worked at Yoga International. And then we ended up moving to the West Coast together. And here in Santa Monica, which is home, we love it. I love everything about LA. So it was, it was great. I was, you know, living the life that was kind of, you know, little thing called uh, COVID-19 happened, which kind of <laughs> threw some things off. Um, we actually got married during the pandemic because we wanted it to be just us and like literally four other people. We thought that was a great opportunity and we got married then. But we noticed, you know, we were kind of feeling like we were outgrowing the whole Yoga International thing. Not that we didn't like what we did, but it was just a little bit different with the pandemic, but we didn't know we didn't know what else to do because that's, you know, for me, that was my whole grown up career, my whole life. And for mm -hmm. him too, he started working as a senior videographer and then manager of the AV department since right out of college. And so that was, you know, scary. And so Yoga International was purchased by Gaia. They were sold by the Himalayan Institute, their previous owners at the end of 2020. And Long story short, most yoga international people, save for a few, ended up getting laid off. And that included me and that included my husband. And all of a sudden, we went from being a two-income household in one of the most expensive cities in the world to a zero right now, aside from some freelance stuff that, I, that we had going on. Um, and that's really scary. But then, you know, just kind of taking that step back and thinking, okay, well, I, I know I have been in worse shape before and I was able to come out on top. This is not the lowest I've ever been. This is going to be okay. And it's, you know, it, it's been 
the busiest couple of months of my entire life. Um, not totally like out of the woods yet, still looking for that fit. My husband was able to find a full-time job that he's really happy with. And I'm doing a lot of things that really light me up. I'm really busy. I'm, you know, I always joke that unemployment is a full-time job and I'm certainly not unemployed now. I'm like very, very busy, but I don't have like that same nine to five thing that I had going. But I really feel just like, I was able to take some of those reminders. And this is not just all thanks to me. This is thanks to other people reminding me this too, because I remember thinking of the don't go in desperation mode. And when I felt challenged to do that, or when I felt the urge to do that, I thought of the things that my friends had said to me. They're like, Kat, you're, you're going to find something. You have the skills. You can do this. You are valuable. What you have to offer is valuable. Don't undervalue yourself. Don't jump on the first thing. And my husband is always like, you know, it's okay. I have a full-time job. Your full-time job is to finish your book right now. Um, which was like, I've never had anyone offer me that level of support. I've worked my whole life, you know? And so it was just, just really great to kind of be like, okay, I am, I am valuable. I don't have to, you know, we're all valuable. Every human being is valuable, no matter what capitalism tells us otherwise but like to get that reminder like you don't have to say yes to something just because someone says they'll give you money for it i think that that's what i like yeah. boiled it down to in my head you know things would come up and i knew that it wasn't enough i knew that it was something that was going to be soul crushing where you know and i had a lot of great great things come up too and some things that just weren't a fit um and and some part-time things that are great that i'm working with right now but i remember having that thought like it is okay to say no to an offer for money and capitalism is just wild you know <laughs> that it makes yeah. me feel like we can't make that like that if someone says i will pay you for this like what is it how was i conditioned that i feel like i can't say no and to be yeah. able to say no and to be able to take space and again i know that that is such a privilege it's a privilege that not everyone has and that is everyone should everyone should be able to make decisions that really serve them and their family and their life and their community and not operate in desperation mode yeah well and there's also an element of that that's about long-term investing, right? So when we say yes to every single opportunity that will pay a little bit of money, then we're filling up our schedule with things where we might have been able to hold some space for a better opportunity that could be a more satisfying fit overall or even a more lucrative fit overall. So let's pivot for a moment to talking about now your journey as an author. So I guess that's a question that's coming up for me is, are you finding that being a published author is a viable new path for you? Or do you like, <laughs> you know, cause it, you, it sounds like you're keeping busy and you are, you have a, a book deal and you've had one before. Is that something that you're considering pivoting towards as how you make your income? I don't know that it's really possible these days to make an income as an author, even though I have like a wonderful publisher that I love and they pay well, um, as far as book publishing goes, but it's just, well, it's just like, people are always surprised that you don't really make a ton of money selling books. It's more about like, that's how people find you and support the work that you're doing and what you're writing about in the book. And definitely this is, I'm, I'm 
like I said, I love my publisher. I, you know, wouldn't ever want to publish with anyone else, honestly, um, unless I knew that they were just as awesome. But I have been doing a lot more work with editing and book coaching and book proposal coaching and helping other people get published. And it's really cool. I've helped some friends of mine get their books published, get book deals, self-published, depending on what they want. And I found that I really enjoyed sharing the things that have worked for me, especially because I am, I have ADHD. And so I know that I have these little strategies that, especially before I knew I had ADHD, that I kind of put into place to get me to actually be able to sit and write and finish a book during times when it was really difficult. And it came with developing like a particular type of outline that set myself up for success and working with that. So to be able to work with someone and they're at the point where like, I have these ideas, I have this knowledge, I have all this great stuff to put out there, but I don't know how to write a book. And it'd be like, well, you have all the information inside. Let's just help you get it out there. Here are some tools that can help you. And to see people's faces go from, I can't write a book to, I think I can do this. And then to see them do it is just the most incredible thing. So that's something that I've been doing more of. Definitely love working in the book publishing industry in general, as far as, you know, whether it's as an editor, whether it's as, as a proposal coach or whether it's as, you know, I love writing, writing a book is so fun, especially when you do know now that you have ADHD and you're getting appropriate medical care for that. It makes it a lot more. Yeah. I feel like that's an entire book that you should write next is how to write your book when you have ADHD. I bet that would be a hit. Okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your new book? I would love to. So my new book is called Yoga Inversions, Your Guide to Going Upside Down. And handstands in particular are kind of my jam. They're kind of my favorite thing to do. And so one of my editors reached out to me and said, Kat, you know, are you interested in writing a book? And she proposed this idea and she said, you know, there's not books out there that are about how to do yoga inversions. And I was like, what? there's got to be. And I mean, I feel like I know a lot of the yoga books out there, but I had never thought of that. And it was, you know, there are books that have inversions in them, but I looked and she looked too, and we could find books about inversions that were anatomy focused. And then there was books that were, you know, like self-published eBooks by people who basically were, were, you know, and I mean, this is fine. Like I, I love sharing my practice on Instagram too, but it was just these very advanced poses. And it was like, this is this pose, this is this pose. Or if there were any instructions, they were very limited and not very accessible. And in Yoga Where You Are, Diane and I, we said, we want to create the book that we wish existed. We don't want a book to tell us how to do it, that this is the right way, this is the wrong way. We want a book to inspire our creativity, to give us little tools and tricks to try to, instead of trying to fit our bodies to work for a pose, because why? Like, you know, look at the pose and make it work for us instead. And how do we do that? And how can we empower other students and teachers to do the same? And how can we make it really practical so people can actually like put this stuff? And again, I think that that's partially my ADHD brain again, too, like wanting to organize it in a way that sets people up for success. And um, so this book was like, why can't we do a similar thing, but make it about 
learning to handstand, learning to forearm stand, learning shoulder stand, headstand, all these inversions and variations of them and unpacking those. And that's what I do all the time when I teach anyway, because I love teaching those poses. And I have found so many things that work. And, you know, people will say, I, I do sometimes one-on-one -on -one handstand coaching with people where I'll set up a month-long program, like, okay, this is your goal. These are your challenges. This is the 30-minute practice you're going to do three times a week in order to help work toward those challenges. And a lot of this stuff is just, you know, things that I've learned from other teachers who are amazing, but also things that I found that I didn't learn how to do inversion stuff until I was an adult. I think it was actually in your studio that I did my first unsupported forearm stand and like in the middle of the room. And then I started working with handstands and handstand presses and I was like, whoa, I can do this. This is amazing. And I was, you know, at that time in my thirties and I didn't, I, it wasn't like I was a gymnast kid or anything. And I think a lot of people think that because they didn't grow up learning how to do a handstand, that it's something that they could never do. Or maybe because they have a contraindication, they can't actually bring their head below their heart, that they can't do a version of a pose or find a version of the pose that has similar benefits. And so I decided to put together this book that focused on really kind of honing in on all of the things that I found to be helpful and that I found to be helpful with other people and the same thing, giving folks those tools. Um, my friend Annie, who did the photographs for Yoga Where You Are, came out to Los Angeles last summer and we did the photography and I'm one of the models, but my husband is, a bunch of my friends out here are, my cousin is, you know, like all like real people with a variety of yoga experiences. We have everything from an extremely high level athlete who is not a big yoga person at all to people who have practiced yoga for years, but have like more of a gentle practice to people who have never really done yoga to, you know, to people who like, you know, my friend Nam and I pretty much handstand every day. So yeah. so yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy about that. I hope that it helps people, you know, figure out how to make fun things work for them and find a little bit more lightheartedness in their practice. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It sounds like it'll be really helpful and hopefully a big hit. Thank you. Is there anything that you wanted to share with us today that we didn't get to or that I didn't ask you about? Oh, let me see. I mean, I guess I could talk a little bit about my, I could mention my podcast really quickly too. If that's oh, okay. sure. Yeah. Hey, you were guest on there actually on one of our, oh, yeah. one of our Patreon exclusives. <laughs> <laughs> that's been, that's been a fun project. My friend Justine, and I guess this is another example, like I reached out to her and I was like, Justine, I started out with, I want to write a book with you. And then I listened to, I'm always listening to podcasts all the time. And I heard on this book publishing podcast that if you really want a book to sell these days, uh, that it should be true crime because true crime is hot. And so I reached out to my friend, Justine, who's a therapist and a writer and a she's incredible. She's like what I want to be when I grow up, even though we're basically the same age. And um, I said, hey, maybe we should make this book. We should figure out how to make it a true crime book because that's going to sell. Can we make a yoga true crime book? And then we're like, wait a minute, maybe we do a yoga true crime podcast. And so we we got really excited about this, like more than anything we've been excited about at all, like, like as far as this collaboration was going. And we just started going and we came up with the idea Dark Side of the Mat, which is a play on Dark Side of the Moon, the Pink Floyd album. And there's, you know, you could tell if you see our logo. And all of a sudden we just started having a blast releasing episodes. We I think we just hit our 
10k download after being out for a couple months so that was that was pretty nice and we got invited to speak at a panel at a comics convention which is a secret dream of mine which was great about cults and crimes and i've also been um really helpful in deconstructing a lot of things that i've experienced from being parts of yoga cults and had some folks reach out about, you know, talking about like, hey, I'm so glad that you're sharing these experiences because this is my experience and I thought that I was the only one. So that really, especially when we did our panel discussion at the Comic-Con, it really hit home that that actually is important work, that we are giving a voice to experiences that hadn't previously had you know been out there as much and to have people say i thought i was the only one when i heard you talk about it i know that i'm not thank you it made me feel good but it also made me realize like the weight and responsibility that you have when you have that platform so that you do have to make sure that the things that you're saying aren't going to cause more harm for people but anyway all of that aside, I could talk about that for days too. That podcast is called Dark Side of the Mat, and you can find it wherever you find podcasts. Awesome, Kat. Well, it was so great to connect with you today, and I'm happy to hear that things are going well, and can't wait to see your book and talk to you more about book coaching in the future. You'll be hearing from me. And of course, I'll send you a signed copy. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, great. Awesome, Kat. Well, have a great day and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Space Beyond Scarce. If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you. Thank you.